Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. But the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, friends, let's talk about how bizarre what we're about to do is. Now, for those of you that have spent a long time in the church, you know, you, you might have lost just how weird it is what's about to happen. Fully clothed, I'm going to stand in a tank of water, and then in front of you all, there are going to be some people, and they're going to come up, and I'm going to dunk them in the water and bring them back out of the water. You've got to admit, it's kind of odd. So why do we do it? What does it mean? You know, I heard the story of a minister who was doing some baptisms and he had a guy come forward to be baptized. And, and the minister said, well, why do you want to be baptized? He said, well, I'm looking for Jesus. And so the minister brought him in the tank and he baptized him and brought him down. And he said, he said, have you found Jesus? And he said, no. So he brought him back down and he brought him back up again. He said, you found Jesus? And he said, no. So he brought him back down, brought him back up, and he said, found Jesus. He said, Pastor, I don't think he's down there. (laughs) Friends, that's not why we baptize. Why do we engage in this activity that outsiders might look at as kind of odd, and to the participants itself is kind of a humbling act? What does it all mean? Friends, baptism and why we do it, it beautifully makes tangible an intangible reality. It beautifully makes visible an invisible reality because we believe that Christ was crucified for our sins on Good Friday. And then three days later, on the first Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. So He is risen. And when we come to faith in Jesus, when we trust in what He has done in His death and His resurrection, spiritually, Something changes. We are united with Christ in His death so that our old sinful life is buried and forgiven. And then we're united with Christ in His resurrection so that we too rise and we live a newness of life. Friends, we believe that these are realities. This actually happens. By faith, you are united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. Reality itself has changed, but it's a spiritual reality, and so it's not something that we can see. It's a reality, but it's a 
spiritual reality, so we can't see it. So God has given us baptism as a sign, a symbol, a declaration that lets us see the unseen. It, it makes tangible the intangible. It makes the invisible become visible to us. In the same way, when we gather on a monthly basis and we eat physical bread and we drink from a physical cup, we're making tangible the reality of our fellowship both with God and our fellowship, our relationship with one another. Because the truth is, you can't see the reality of relationship, can you? I have a relationship. Well, what? I can't see that. But the breaking of the bread and sharing it together, the drinking of a cup, sharing it with one another, it shows the reality. It's a visual symbol of an unseen reality. And this is what the passage that Willis just read for us from Romans 6 explains. The Apostle Paul begins this section by asking a hypothetical question. He says, should we continue to sin believing that God will continue to forgive us? Should we continue to live in sin believing that God will continue to forgive us? Friends, Paul here is actually reminding us of the gospel, of the good news. Your sin can never outweigh God's grace. Your sin can never outweigh God's grace. Friends, it's as we often sing here, our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Friends, Jesus never cuts us off from grace. And I believe that there are probably some of you that God brought here this morning or caused you to log in online and to watch this because you needed to hear that truth. You needed to be reminded that His grace is greater than any of your sin. Some of you have come here today and you are overwhelmed by sin. You're overwhelmed by the wrongs that you have done and that you continue to do. You're overwhelmed by the good that you've left undone. You're crushed by guilt and strangled by regret. And you're wondering if you have reached the limit where God's grace can no longer reach you. Friends, hear the gospel. Hear the good news again. His grace is greater than your sin. And so, friends, if that's you, what stops you? What stops you from trusting and receiving that grace today? Now, friends, Paul is writing here because we need to be on our guard because the problem with our human nature is that we will twist and warp good news. And so Paul's addressing a distortion and abuse of the, of the truth some are saying if God's grace is so great, and if God's grace increases as our sin increases, then why not just keep on sinning? I mean, you all have heard, and maybe some have been guilty of using the argument, well, I know it's wrong, but God has to forgive me. And Paul writes, it shall not be. Don't mistake God's grace for license to sin. And in fact, in the passage, Paul just wants to show them how absolutely foolish that is. In verse 2, Paul answers his own question. He says, by no means, how can we who've died to sin still live in it? What he's arguing is that, friends, when we come to faith in Jesus, reality changes. Reality changes. You have died to sin. Your relationship with sin changes. It's a spiritual reality, but it's a reality. It's an unseen reality. And so baptism pictures for us so that we can help see what happens. And verses 3 and 4 are key. Do you not know that all of us 
who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And we were buried, as you're going to see, they go down, buried into the water, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, by faith, our relationship has changed. By faith, we are really and truly united with Jesus in His death. By faith, we have truly died, our sins being buried and gone. And by faith, we are united with Jesus in His resurrection. And we rise, as it says here, to walk in newness of life. So baptism is a visible, external expression of an invisible reality. The old life buried down in the grave with Christ, and we are rise up from the water with Jesus, forgiven and cleansed to walk in newness of life. Church, if you've been united with Christ in faith, then reality has changed. In a real way, your old life has died. And in a real way, you have risen to follow a new Savior and Lord. And in verses 6 and 7, Paul uses the analogy of slavery. I mean, once a slave died, he or she was free from the authority and power of their former masters. And Paul writes in the same way, if you've died with Christ, if you've been buried with Christ, if you've been forgiven and freed by Christ, then you're forgiven and freed from the authority of your old masters. Sin is no longer your master. So if you're free now, why would you keep on serving your old master? who once enslaved you? Why would you keep on walking in the ways that were killing you? Why would you heed the siren song of your past lovers? Friends, if you sin, there is grace. It will increase and you will be forgiven. But church, remember your baptism. You no longer live that old life. You are now a new person in Jesus Christ. You know, the man who we know is St. Augustine or St. Augustine, Before he came to Christ, he was quite the playboy. And it's said that in his former life, he had a mistress by the name of Claudia. And shortly after Augustine met Christ, Claudia saw him on the street in the city, and she called out after her old lover, Augustine! Augustine! And he just ignored her and kept walking. And so she yelled out again, Augustine! Augustine! It is I, Claudia! And he stopped and he turned around and said, But it is no longer Augustine. And he continued on his way. It is no longer Augustine. It is no longer Adam. It is no longer who I was. Reality has changed. In Christ, the old is buried and gone, and you've risen to live a new life. So when your old life calls you, when temptations entice you, when guilt comes knocking at your door, when shame and regret call your name, when they beckon you and say, it is I, you can say, but it is no longer I. Friends, this is the good news that baptism declares. In Christ, the old is buried and gone, and we have risen spiritually to live a new life. It is as we sang this morning, by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. Because the resurrected King, He's resurrecting me. He is resurrecting me now by the power of Jesus' resurrection. And one day when Christ returns, I will rise eternally and perfectly new to live with Christ forever. Friends, this is the Gospel. 
This is the good news. Although it's spiritual and unseen, reality has changed. The old is gone. The new has come. You no longer need to live as a slave to your past sins, addictions, and desires. You no longer need to be tormented by your old masters of guilt and shame and fear. The old has died and the new has come. And so Paul concludes in verse 11, So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Friends, by faith, we now count ourselves dead to the old life. By faith, we are now fully alive in Jesus Christ, and we have risen to walk in newness of life. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Friends, it's not will be a new creation. Is, right now, a new creation. It's not that the new will come. The new has come. It is present. It is an unseen reality. So friends, baptism, what we're about to do, is a peculiar act. But it proclaims a peculiar reality. That in Jesus Christ, we have died to the old life. And in Him, we now rise to live a truly new life, free of the sin and the desires that once controlled us, and living fully alive to God. And friends, this may look bizarre to the world, but it is beautiful to those of us who believe. It may be humiliating for us into and out of the water. However, it is honoring to Christ, proclaiming loudly, publicly, and unmistakably the reality of what Christ has done for us. So friends, as you witness these baptisms, I pray that they move you in one of three ways. I pray that as you witness these, you are moved in one of three ways. First, friends, if you are here and you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not been united with Christ in His death and His resurrection by faith, then let today be the day. Let today be the day that you put your faith, your trust, in Jesus Christ, that your old life with all of its sin and guilt and shame might be crucified, dead, and buried with Him. And then that by faith you might rise again to live a new life as Christ offers. And friends, if that's you, if you're here today, don't wait. I would love to talk to you and to pray with you following the service. And secondly, if you have already come to faith in Jesus but never taken the step of baptism... We are planning another baptism in June. This one might even happen in the ocean, I hear. More details forthcoming. Or if you're ready to take the step of baptism today, you can come on forward when we give testimonies and we'll dunk you right in. We've done that before. It's happened. And finally, church, if you by faith have been buried and risen again with Christ, but you find you're not living, in the newness of life that Christ has come to give you? Friends, if you find that there are sins, mistresses from your old life who call you and whose call you're still heeding, if you find that there are old masters and desires that you're still obeying, church, confess your sins and remember your baptism. Confess your sins and remember your baptism. I love how theologian Martin Luther explained it. He said, Baptism signifies that the old flesh in us 
is to be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and perish with all the sins and evil lusts. And that the new man should daily come forth again and rise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Church, confess your sins because His grace is greater. Remember your baptism in the reality it proclaims and let Christ put to death the old and bring forth in you the new life. Friends, baptism is an unusual practice. But we are an unusual people. And Christ's resurrection is an unusual power. And the forgiveness that we have received gives us unusual peace. And the deliverance that Jesus has given us made us unusually free. And being united with Christ allows us to live a new and unusual life. So friends, let's celebrate unusually loud today. For Christ is risen. And that is unusually good news. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this unusual act and for this unusually good news that You have given us in Jesus Christ, who died and did not remain dead, but rose again victorious over sin and death and hell. And now we stand free, forgiven, and alive in Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. And may our lives be a response of praise to Him who has saved us. In His name we pray.